Today, we are going to be talking about Isaiah. Great are the words of Isaiah. To uh, start us off here, I just got a little announcement. You may see that uh, my, my screen name is Zombre DOC. So I have the, uh, the Zombre DOC channel on YouTube. And what we're doing tonight is an introduction to Isaiah. And then I've got a partner uh, on, this, on a project who's going to be giving an in-depth uh, presentation regularly on Isaiah on, on that channel. And so if you're interested in learning more about Isaiah, the last days, where we fit into all of that, go to the channel and check it out. There is no monetization there. Uh, I don't get paid a darn thing. Um, we just we just want to be part of the uh, solution and, and, and not part of the problem. So I'm going to jump right into the presentation now. I'm going to, at the end of the presentation, I'll go back and maybe show you the, the, the YouTube channel. But tonight we're going to talk about several things here. Um, we are going to talk about the importance of Isaiah today, keys to understanding Isaiah, specifically Isaiah's ladder to heaven and the end time Davidic servant. And then we're going to talk about how Book of Mormon prophets and, and even other prophets defer and refer to Isaiah often. So that's what you can expect tonight in this presentation. The Book of Mormon was written to us, the LDS Gentiles, and in many ways it was written about us. You know, in the words of Mormon, Mormon said, I cannot write the hundredth part of the things of my people. However, still the, the Nephite prophets included one third of the book of Isaiah. Okay. Imagine as a, a prophet writing on plates or engraving on plates must have been a, a tedious uh, task to do a, a difficult task. And yet they still decided to include one third of the book of Isaiah. And they did it for, for many reasons. And we're going to go over those tonight. Um, one of the things I'll, I'll mention is that Isaiah is a major key to unlocking the doctrine and covenants. And the DNC also helps us understand Isaiah. And both of those, of course, help us understand uh, the Book of Mormon even better. You know, some examples of that are the parable of the redemption of Zion. We've talked about that. We're going to get into it a little bit tonight. We've got Isaiah 11, which we're not going to get into, really, which talks about the rod, the branch, the, the coming of the end time servant in the last days or returning in the last days. And it, it helps us understand that, you know, Joseph Smith or the, the end time servant is coming back in the end times. And uh, here we are in the end times right now. So we ought to understand what we're looking for so that we know who to follow. And of course, we got to take all that to the Lord. Uh, one of the cool things about Isaiah is that well before, well, 100 years, 200 years, maybe even more than that, before Isaiah was, was out preaching, the Deuteronomists, we're kind of like the Pharisees of, of their day. So this is, you know, uh, 900 BC. And uh, the Deuteronomists started kind of picking and choosing the books that they wanted and, and kind of rewriting the Bible, the Old Testament. And when they got to Isaiah, they didn't really understand it. So they kind of left it as is. And so today we have almost an undefiled Isaiah, which is which is amazing, right? It's, it's awesome how the Lord works. Um, Isaiah is written in somewhat in a form of poetic code. And we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. Um, all of these topics will be dis discussed in much greater detail, chapter by chapter, in the uh, 
the video series that we will be doing on Isaiah, my my video partner and I. So um, let's just talk quickly about Isaiah himself. He was a prophet of the house of Israel in the in the southern kingdom of Judah, and his ministry went from about 742 BC to 690. Remember, they were uh, they were probably weren't counting backwards in time then, but we that's how we count it now. And the cool thing about Isaiah is, yes, he talked about his day, but he used events in his day to really explain what was going to happen in our day. So if we understand those things, it, they're, you know, we're, we're going to understand how to better react and respond to what's coming in the last days. So here's just a quick timeline. I'm not going to get into much detail here, but it just shows that, uh, again, Isaiah preached from about 742 uh, till right after, you know, a few years after 700 BC. And a couple of key things we ought to remember, he was, there were about three to four kings that, I, that were, you know, kings of Judah or, or, or Israel at the time. And uh, he preached during their reigns. Assyria was the, the big military power of the time. And so when we, you hear the words king of Assyria, that refers to, sure, you know, the powers uh, at that time, but it's also referring, because Isaiah refers to our day, it's referring to the, the end time tyrant who will lead Babylon in the last days, basically. So we'll get, we'll get to that and some examples of that here shortly. Just so we're, we're all uh, understanding Isaiah, um, when, let's see, uh, King Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, took, took over the kingdom uh, Isaiah had said some, some harsh things about King Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, and Manasseh didn't care for that too well. And so they put Isaiah in a log and he died because they sawed him in half and he, he sealed his testimony with his blood. And, uh, we're just fortunate to have his record today. So just, just a few fun facts. 1,292 verses in the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters. 414, roughly, of those are quoted directly in the Book of Mormon. Okay, that's about 32%. Now, there are other duplicates, as you can see on the screen. There's about 57 verses in the New Testament and over 100 in the Doctrine and Covenants. Let's see. Mormon included about a third in all the record, right? Nephi wrote a ton. Um, and Abinadi did, and Mormon and Moroni did. Christ talked and quoted Isaiah often. So let's just read here Mormon 8, 34 to 35. This is actually Moroni speaking. Behold, the Lord has shown unto me great and marvelous things concerning that which must shortly come. At that day when these things shall come forth among you. Behold, I speak as if unto you as if ye were present, and yet ye are not. But behold, Jesus Christ hath shown you unto me, and I know you're doing. Well, so Moroni saw it, Isaiah saw it, and they recorded it for us. And again, we've got so much of Isaiah to help us understand the last days. Let's continue on. Um, Mormon 8, 23, search the prophecies of Isaiah. The Book of Mormon comes, this is, this is all in chapter 8. It talks about how the Book of Mormon will come forth in a day when churches become defiled and are lifted up in the pride of their hearts. Now, before I read or go over the rest of this particular slide, we just got to know that Isaiah does not hold any punches. 
true prophets do not hold back. They just say it how it is. And so um, we get soothsayers oftentimes today telling us soothing words. Um, that, that's not where I'm going to come from. I'm going to stick with Isaiah. I'm going to stick with the true prophets and what they said about us. So if that offends you, I'm sorry. Uh, that's, that's, it's not me. It's Isaiah. I believe Isaiah. Mormon 8 also says, for your tithing money, you shall be forgiven of your sins. doesn't actually say the word tithing, but that's what they're referring to. The Book of Mormon comes forth in a day when uh, churches are built up to get gain. Everyone has become polluted. Hypocrites and teachers of those churches sell themselves for that which will canker. And they build up secret abominations to get gain. And then, and then, Moroni tells us, look ye unto the revelations of God. In other words, look to the scriptures, guys. It's all laid out before you. Everything that I just talked about, it's all over. You just got to find it. You got to search for it. He says, for behold, the time cometh at that day when all these things must be fulfilled. We can't change it. It's going to happen. We ought to search, the, search out the scriptures, learn what it's, what's really going on, and just accept it and learn how to deal with it. The one thing that, I, that I'll say, my, my partner in this uh, project on the, the Zombre channel for the Isaiah video series, he, he has attended. So, so I've got several hundred hours studying Isaiah. My partner's got several thousand hours studying Isaiah. Okay, he's much better than I am. Um, he oftentimes will go to, you know, LDS conferences, uh, for example, uh, Education Week, and he'll sit in the Isaiah classes. And he says, he says, oh, my goodness, they have no idea what they're talking about. So many, so many um, LDS scholars just get it wrong. Now, fortunately, um, Avraham Gileadi has done a fantastic job for us, and I highly recommend his writings. Um, but we, we need to understand it. It was all written about us. Okay, so we have commandments in the Book of Mormon to study the words of Isaiah. Let's read a few. First Nephi 19.23. And I did read many things unto them which were written in the books of Moses, but that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord their Redeemer. I did read unto them that which was written by the prophet Isaiah. For I did liken all scriptures unto us, that it might be for our profit and learning. And then Jacob Second Nephi 6, and now the words which I shall read are they which Isaiah spake concerning all the house of Israel, wherefore they may be likened unto you, for ye are of the house of Israel. And there are many things which have been spoken by Isaiah, which may be likened unto you, because ye are of the house of Israel. Okay, that applies to us every bit as much as it did to the early Nephite people. Here's Christ. Nope, this is not Christ yet. Sorry. Second uh, Nephi 25. This is Nephi. Wherefore, hearken, O my people, which are of the house of Israel, and give ear unto my words. For because the words of Isaiah are not plain unto you, nevertheless, they are plain unto all those that are filled with the spirit of prophecy. Isaiah was certainly written uh, with the spirit of prophecy and revelation. And, and we need to seek for that gift so that we can understand it in that same light. He says, Yea, and my soul delighteth in the words of Isaiah, for I came out from Jerusalem. And mine eyes have beheld the things of the Jews, and I know that the Jews do understand the things of the prophets. And there is none other people that understand the things which are spoken unto the Jews like unto them, save it be that they are taught after the manner of the things of the Jews. But behold, I proceed with mine own prophecy. So here Nephi is introducing his own prophecy. According to my plainness, 
in the which I know that no man can err. And here it go. Here it comes. Nevertheless, in the days that the prophecies of Isaiah shall be fulfilled, men shall know of a surety at the times when they shall come to pass. Now, does that mean all men? Heavens no, right? It means those who have taken the time to heed the commandment to study Isaiah from all the Book of Mormon prophets. Continuing on, now we come to Christ. 3 Nephi 20, you remember that I spake unto you and said that when the words of Isaiah should be fulfilled, behold, they are written, ye have them before you, therefore search them. That's a commandment. And verily, verily, I say unto you that when they shall be fulfilled, then is the fulfilling of the covenant which the Father hath made unto his people, O house of Israel. And again, Christ in chapter 23. And now behold, I say unto you that ye ought to search these things. Yea, a commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently, for great are the words of Isaiah. There's the title of our presentation tonight. For surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore it must needs be that they, that he must speak also unto the Gentiles. Well, we know from past podcasts and past presentations, we are the Gentiles. It's the LDS people. And, and anyone who, who, uh, falls under the restoration movement of Joseph Smith. Okay, he's speaking directly to us. He's trying to warn us. And all things that he spake have been and shall be, even according to the words which he spake. In other words, all things that Isaiah spake have been in Isaiah's time and shall be in the end time. And finally, last one. Here's Mormon 8.23, which we've kind of already read. Search the prophecies of Isaiah. I can't write them. Right now, Isaiah, most quoted prophet in all of Scripture. You can see I see on the screen Nephi, Jacob, Abinadi, Christ, Moroni, Joseph Smith, all quoted often. Isaiah. We also find in the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Peter, and then to a lesser extent Galatians, Ephesians, Hebrews, and Revelation. So let's talk now about a few things that we ought to understand if we're going to understand Isaiah. He uses code words or code names. We can thank Avraham Gileadi for a lot of these. Okay. When, when Isaiah talks about trees like oaks and cedars, he's talking about people. Usually these are mighty people in positions of power. When he talks about forests or jungles, he's talking about cities. And I'm going to share a few examples of this in just a minute. When he talks about nations, he's referring to, or excuse me, mountains are nations or kingdoms. Hills are lesser nations or kingdoms or small countries. Precious stones, when you read that, we're talking about celestial individuals, gold, silver, diamonds, for example. Common stones, these are celestial individuals. Briars and thorns are wicked people. He also refers to animals often, right? We've got two different kinds. We've got the kosher animals who have a divided, divided hoof. They chew the cud, examples being cows, oxen, goats, lambs, sheep. This is the house of Israel he's referring to. And unclean animals, non-divided hoof, such as reptiles, jackals, wolves, leopards, that sort of thing, are not of Israel. And another key uh, code name, if you will, is Egypt. Egypt is referring to the United States. Egypt was the powerhouse country the powerhouse mountain or nation back in Isaiah's day. And today that's the United States. So when 
In fact, let's go to a scripture right now where he's going to give us a revelation about America. It says, an oracle, or in other words, a revelation, this is Isaiah 2, concerning Egypt or America. When, Jehovah's, when Jehovah enters America, riding on swift clouds, that sounds to me like the second coming, the idols of Egypt or America will rock at his presence. And the Egyptians or the Americans' hearts melt within them. I will stir up the Americans against the Americans. That doesn't sound so good, does it? They will fight brother against brother, neighbor against neighbor, city against city, and state against state. We're, we're starting to see that unfold just at the beginning stages, aren't we? Then it says, verse 3, Egypt's or America's spirit shall be drained from within. Sounds pretty gloomy. Then the Lord says through, through the mouth of Isaiah, I will frustrate their plans and they will resort to the idols. Now, what's an idol? An idol is anything we place in between us and God. So idols could be sports, celebrities, social media, cars, jobs, money. Uh, could be our home. It could be, uh, it could be even a true prophet. The early children of Israel put Moses between them and God, and they turned Moses into an idol. Even though he was a true prophet, they made him into an idol. It could be the church itself. It could be the president of the church. All those things could be idols to us. We don't want idols. We want to worship the Lord and the Lord only. So it says, I will frustrate their plans and they will resort to the idols and to spiritists, to mediums, and witchcraft. Now, I just want to point this out because this is something that's going on right now. You're all aware of it. The word witchcraft in the, uh, in the Bible refers to sorcery. Well, what does sorcery mean? Well, if you were to translate that, uh, pharmakia comes up. Now, pharma, what does that sound like? Big pharma? Vaccines? Okay, so the, the people will resort to idols, vaccines, right? Mediums, spiritists for their answers. They'll, they'll rely on them as an idol. We see that unfolding all around us. Verse four, then will I deliver the Egyptians or the Americans into the hand of a cruel master. Well, there we go. That's the end time tyrant, or in other words, the king of Assyria, and we'll get into that a little bit later, who is a harsh ruler who will subject them, says the Lord, Jehovah of hosts. Okay, let's, let's do another example. That was about Egypt and America. Let's, uh, let's look at mount, the word mountain now. You're all familiar with this scripture in Isaiah 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain, or in other words, the nation of the Lord's house. Okay, first off, what nation might that be? Well, let's, let's figure that out in just a second. What is, it, what is the Lord's house? Okay, well, you've got the house of Israel. So um, that's the Lord's people. A house could also refer to a temple. So that mountain or that nation that includes the Lord's house, the his Lord's people, shall be established in the top, or in other words, the head of the mountains or the nations. Well, what nation in the world right now is the head nation? It's the United States, right? 
says, and shall be exalted above the hills, or in other words, shall be exalted above the lesser nations, and all nations shall flow into it. Now, this is millennial jargon here, right? Millennial language. So it could very well mean the temple also, because the temple will be built. But why do the people flow into the United States or, or into that region? They come seeking that the people of the house of Israel. Why? Because they've got the, the correct doctrines. They've got the ordinances to, to perform. Verse 3, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain or the nation of Zion. Okay, that's the name. Zion will become a nation. Won't start out as a nation necessarily, but it will become a nation. Okay, what does it mean to go up? Well, when we go up, we're ascending. We're ascending. And so when we go to Mount Zion, we learn how to ascend from a telestial, uh, from a telestial to a terrestrial outside the gates of Zion. And then in order to get into Zion, the actual city, the actual temple, we have to ascend from the terrestrial into a celestial order. Okay, so again, come ye and let us go up to the nation of the Lord, Zion, to the house, to the people or temple of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, not man's ways. And we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. Now, that law is going to be terrestrial, outside the actual city gates, if, if, if there are such gates there. And inside, there'll be celestial doctrines. Okay, and then the word of the Lord will come forth from Jerusalem. So there's a couple of examples of code names in the book of Isaiah. If we understand what they are, it helps us so much to really understand what Isaiah is trying to say to us. Continuing on, let's talk a little bit about the, the end time Davidic servant. All right, now that... Um, that word Davidic, okay, um, let's, let's discuss that. When Orson Hyde went overseas to uh, dedicate the land of Israel for the temple there, he said, let them, the people, know that it is thy good pleasure to restore the kingdom to Israel. Okay, so first, restore the kingdom to Israel. Well, it's, we know from the scriptures it was taken from Israel and given to the Gentiles. Then it will be taken from the Gentiles and given back to Israel. Okay, so there's the first thing. Well, what does it mean to restore the kingdom of Israel? To raise up Jerusalem as its capital and constitute her people as a distinct nation and government with David thy servant, even a descendant from the loins of ancient David to be their king. So ancient David, King David, is a type of the end time servant who is on the earth now preparing for his mission. So when we say Davidic servant, that's what we're talking about. He comes in the end time. He's a, a descendant from the loins of ancient David, and he will be our, our, it says, our king. Now, Christ is our king, and he is a king maybe on a slightly lesser, but we're talking about kings and priests. Okay, of the holy order. All right, so the end time servant. Who is he? What does he do? Why in the world do we need to know about him? Okay, so I've got some scriptures here. We're not going to go to the scriptures, but he is the last days prophet of the Lord. Very powerful, highly ascended. 
He comes to set in order the house of God. Well, what's the house? We just talked about it. It's the house of Israel. And why is he setting in order? Because it's out of order. Okay, he comes as a warrior, not as a lamb. Okay, um, most of the most of us, even just uh, not too long ago, expected the Lord to come back as a lamb. Well, he was a lamb in his first uh, ministry on earth at the meridian of time. Okay, neither he nor the Davidic servant come back as a lamb this time. They come back as warriors. Okay, and they bring judgment to the Gentiles. Well, who are the Gentiles? That's us. That's the LDS people. They also bring judgment beyond the LDS to the nation and ultimately the whole world. What else does he do? He brings new scripture to convince others of the truthfulness of the doctrine of Christ and and other probably higher doctrines than that as well. He restores the priesthood, which was lost. We learn it's lost in DNC 113 and DNC 124, but he restores it. He restores it back to us. He opens the dispensation of the fullness of times. Well, I thought we were in that. Not necessarily. DNC 110 tells us that that we're not. We're in the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, or have been, and I, I think we've probably transitioned into the dispensation of the fullness of times, but maybe not. I'm, I'm uncertain there. Someone can maybe help me on that one. He will be marred. Okay, but he'll also be healed, which could mean that he's resurrected by the Lord. Now, there's a hint as to who this individual is. Who do we know in the latter days who was marred, who would be resurrected and come back to to fulfill the prophecies from the early restoration? It's Joseph, Joseph Smith, right? All right, he's going to be a light to the Gentiles, okay? Gentiles specifically referring to the LDS, but it also refers to the Gentile nation on a, on a more general, from a more general perspective. He leads an end time exodus, just like Moses. Well, why did Moses lead an exodus? Because the people were in bondage. Okay. We started bondage already, but we haven't seen nearly the worst of it yet. So this individual will lead us out. If we're worthy, if we have taken the Holy Spirit is our guide. If we, if we can recognize him, if we, are, if we have offered up a broken heart and a contrite spirit, then he will lead us just like Moses led the children of Israel. Now, the difficult thing is, is that he is hidden by the Lord until his mission begins. Okay? That's, that's the, one of the big challenges. I want to know who he is right now, right? I, I'm eager to know. But... It's not time yet. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 49 that it's not time yet. And we also learn that he will be rejected by most of the Gentiles, most of the LDS. Okay, In fact, probably 90% is what Isaiah says in chapter 1. And we also learn that in, uh, I think it's DNC 64. So those are the things that we need to understand about him because if we don't know those things, we're going to miss him. In fact, we'll probably persecute him and reject him. And if we persecute the servants, it's the same as persecuting and rejecting the Lord himself. Okay. They'll be, they'll be false end time servants. We've got to learn to discern. We'll, we'll talk about some keys to discerning the end time servant in the video series on Zombre DOC, uh, YouTube channel.
All right. So King David of old was a type of the end time Davidic servant. Okay, let's look. Where do we get that? A couple of scriptures here. And I will clothe him. This is Isaiah speaking, uh, the servant with thy robe. Now, obviously it's Christ speaking through Isaiah. I will clothe him, the servant with thy robe and strengthen him, the servant with thy girdle and will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall shall open. So he's talking about the sealing power, right? Just like Nephi in Helaman chapter 10 was given the sealing power. Just like Melchizedek had the sealing power in JST Genesis 14, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. That is, a, that is the holy order of the priesthood. Okay. And then in Ezekiel, a lot of Old, uh, or a lot of, um, old Testament prophets referenced uh, the servant David in the end times. And I will set up one shepherd over them, the, the, the Gentiles basically, and he shall feed them. Even my servant David, he shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. So we've got Christ as king, David as prince, and uh, David's going to hold a high station uh, within the government of Jesus Christ. There's a bunch of code names. I'm not going to read through every single one. I'm going to read through a few keys, key code names, but the arm, the arm of righteousness, for example, um, the branch, uh, the just righteousness itself. The rod, the servant, uh, the one that's very common is the hand. And a couple of weeks ago, we learned from Steve Briner, you know, the right hand man of the Lord is the end time servant, right? Just like in, in, in some ways, Moses was the right hand man of the Lord back in his day. So those are just a bunch of different names for the end time servant. When we see those, we need to understand what Isaiah is trying to tell us. Now, just to be clear, it's not just Isaiah that uses these terms. Nephi uses them. We, we see him, uh, Christ uses them often. Um, we see him even in the, the Doctrine and Covenants. We see him all throughout Scripture. Tons of prophets have used these, these exact code names over time. And uh, one of my favorites is the One Mighty and Strong. And we're going to read that Scripture in a, in a little bit. Now, the end time tyrant or the counterpart the opposition to the end time Davidic servant is the king of Assyria. And he's got almost double the number of code names. So there's, there's a bunch there. We need to learn to recognize those as well. I'm not going to get into them right now, but um, in the video series that we're doing, we're putting all the end time servant code names in green and all the king of Assyria code names in red. So they're easy to identify. Moving on. Let's, uh, let's read some verses about the servant. Okay, this is Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold. So Christ upholds the servant. Mine elect, so the servant is elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. We just, we just read that. He'll bring judgment to the Gentiles, then the nation, then the world. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth. And the isles shall, shall wait for his law. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. 
and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant. So the, the servant David is a covenant for, for the people, to the people, of the people. He's also a light of the Gentiles. We see that in DNC 45 pretty clearly. What is he going to do? He opens the eye, the, the, the blind eyes to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. So right now, how many people are blind to all of this? How many people are blind to what's going on in the world? Okay, so this doesn't necessarily mean, sure, it could mean a physical healing of a blind person. But really, he's talking about those who are under bondage, who cannot see, they're the blind. And this Davidic servant will lead them out if, again, they recognize him, if they repent, if they enter the everlasting covenant. Okay, Isaiah 58, another example of uh, the end time servant as a light and as righteousness. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. Meaning, it's a new dawn for those who repent. Okay, and thine health or healing shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness, that's the, that's the key or code name for the, the servant. Righteousness shall go before thee. Well, where, where is he going to go before thee? Well, he's, he's basically referring back to Moses in the Exodus and using that imagery as a type for the end days. It says, the glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Uh, rearward, yeah. And that's basically referencing Doctrine and Covenants 103, 19, and 20 as well, where the pillar of fire guides the children of Israel. That same exact thing will happen in the last days, along with the presence of Jesus Christ as well. Now, DNC 45, here we go. This is where he talks about the light, the covenant. So again, we see Isaiah imagery in the Doctrine and Covenants. Even so, I have sent my everlasting covenant into the world. Okay, the everlasting covenant to the people, like we just read, there's the servant, to be a light to the world and to be a standard for my people. Well, what's the standard? What does that mean? That means he is, he epitomizes the doctrine of Christ. He epitomizes um, probably doctrines well beyond the doctrine of Christ as well, I imagine. And for the Gentiles or the LDS to seek to it, to, to seek to that standard, that light, that covenant and to be a messenger before my face to prepare the way before me. Where do we hear, hear that word messenger? Well, that's Malachi, right? Malachi talks about the messenger as well. Another example, Isaiah 5. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, um, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitterness for sweet and sweet for bitter. So basically, those individuals who are confused, who have not taken the Holy Spirit for their guide, will call evil good and good evil. Well, obviously, the Davidic servant would be the good, and the evil would be the end-time tyrant or the king of Assyria in the last days. So the metaphor really from, from Gileadi, for example, is they put darkness for light. In other words, they're following darkness, the, the, the tyrant, instead of light, the end-time servant. And Isaiah 40, behold, the Lord will come with a with strong hand. Okay, there's that right hand man of the Lord. And his arm, another metaphor there, shall rule for him or preside for him. 
Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. In other words, his work precedes him. Well, how does the end time servant's work precede him? Well, in Joseph's first ministry, he, he wrote the Doctrine and Covenants. He worked on the JST translation. There were lots of uh, prophecies in the Doctrine and Covenants that never came to pass in Joseph's day in his first ministry. So his work precedes him because all that was written and he's going to come back and fulfill all those promises and prophecies. Continuing, it says, He, the servant, shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather, that's Exodus language there, right? Gathering the lambs with his arm, again, there's the servant, and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. So there's the Exodus imagery. So the most common terms, the ones you ought to kind of put to memory are servant, arm, hand, and righteousness. Now, be careful though, because um, there are multiple times when the the king of Assyria, uh, for example, could be the arm. Okay, you've got a, a right arm and a left arm. Well, he's the left arm. Moving forward. Some examples in the Book of Mormon. We just looked at the Doctrine and Covenants. Here we go. Some more end-time Davidic servant references. For in that day, or the last days, for my sake shall the Father work a work, this is Christ speaking, which shall be a great and marvelous work among them. Well, who who, who kicked that off? Well, initially, Joseph kind of kicked that off, but really the marvelous work and, and wonder has not occurred yet. That's when... The house of Israel is restored. We we establish Zion, all those things. And there shall be among them those who will not believe it, although a man shall declare it unto them. Well, who's that man? Pretty obvious. But behold, the life of my servant shall be in my hand. Therefore, they shall not hurt him, although he shall be marred or martyred, potentially, because of them. Yet I will heal him. For I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Therefore, it shall come to pass that whosoever will not believe my words, who am Jesus Christ, which the Father shall cause him to bring forth unto the Gentiles, the LDS, and shall give unto him power that he shall bring, bring them forth unto the Gentiles, they shall be cut off from among my people who are of the covenant. There it is right there. If we can't recognize him, if we do not accept the true prophet, the true servant of the Lord, when he is, when they, when the, the Lord sends him to us, we shall be cut off among the people who are of the covenant. Now, DNC eighty-five seven. This is one of my favorite. And it shall come to pass that I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hand. In other words, he's got a high-level priesthood. He's uh, clothed with light for a covering, whose mouth shall utter words, eternal words, while his bowel shall be a fountain of truth. To do what? To set in order the house of God. Again, why? Because the house of God is out of order. And to arrange by lot the inheritances of the saints, whose names are found, and the names of their fathers and of their children enrolled in the book of the law of God. One of the great things that helps us understand and thank we're, we're very grateful to Avraham for 
for uh, pointing this out so clearly to us is the different levels or the, the, the ladder, the ladder to heaven. So we're talking about keys to understanding Isaiah here. And we're just going to start at the bottom and go through the various levels really quickly. Okay. This is a bookmark that I have. And uh, you can find this image on the internet, but we've got the, the lowest layer is that of perdition. Oops, went the wrong way there. Perdition is a point of no return. Candidates for the pit of dissolution, the second death. These are the type of individuals that orchestrate mass murders and, and murders, evils in the world. So examples in scripture are Cain, false prophets, Amalekiah, Achish, the king of Assyria, and the Antichrist in the end times. Okay, I'm sure you could think of some other ones in more modern history. Who else? Now, the next layer up from them, not that they're righteous, but they are on a higher level, is Babylon. These are idolaters, oppressors, people who choose evil, who don't repent. They're in bondage to sin, ripening in iniquity. And examples would be King Noah from the Book of Mormon, Korahor, Nehor, and Laban. Now, I said earlier that uh, false prophets, well, was Korahor a false prophet? He could potentially be considered a false prophet. But false prophets who speak, or at least claim to speak in the name of the Lord, and lead the people of the Lord astray, would certainly be considered um, false prophets. Okay, moving upward, this next level here is the Jacob Israel level. Okay, so when we read in Isaiah, and we're gonna, I'm going to show you some examples of this here in a moment. When we read those words, those names, Jacob or Israel, it's talking to believers in God. This level is the starting place or the pivot point for most mortals. In other words, when, you, when we come into mortality, we come in on this level for the most part. However, these individuals are usually ambivalent about choosing the right. They are the largest group or the largest group of people in all the, le the, the levels or all the rungs of the ladder. Okay, They are the unrepentant LDS Gentiles. And we learn in Isaiah, like I mentioned earlier, that they are the 90% who most likely gets, gets wiped out first. Why? Because they should have known better. They have the fullness of the gospel in the Book of Mormon, and they chose to uh, follow those who, who would uh, teach the precepts of men instead of going to the Lord and following him through, and, and the true prophets, the true servants. Okay, I said examples here might be sheeple, the majority, the masses. Okay, they can't discern. They have not taken the Holy Spirit for their guide. And again, guys, if this sounds harsh, this isn't me. This is Isaiah speaking. Okay, he does not hold punches. Next group up. Now, this is where we're striving to be at the moment. The Zion-Jerusalem group. So when we see those words in, in Isaiah's writing, Zion and Jerusalem, we know what people he's talking to. People who have ascended beyond the Jacob-Israel category, ascended up that ladder one rung. And by the way, there are a bunch of tiny little levels in each of these. But these are the covenant people. They are just men and women who have received a remission of their sins 
and are on the path to perfection. They have no desire to do evil, but to do good continually. They are the elect who have received the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They are the 10% okay, that do not get wiped out. They may get their butts kicked in the end times. Okay, uh, at least nine percent, at least at least ninety percent of that ten percent. In other words, nine percent overall. But they're members of the Church of Christ, the terrestrial order. And examples are King Benjamin's people, and also those present at the Day of Pentecost, who, when the t- cloven uh, tongues of fire came down, and they were all baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Okay, so this is where most of us are striving to be to 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 go. We need to receive the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. How do we do it? We enter into the new and everlasting covenant, which is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. has nothing to do with polygamy or anything like that. Um, That was uh, introduced by Brigham, but that's not what Joseph taught. We've got to enter into that covenant with the Lord and do whatever he says. Now, it breaks my heart, guys, because... I see so many people. I have so I even have family members who are unwilling to look past all the traditions and precepts of men that they grew up with and recognize that the Lord is trying to get us to ascend this ladder. And so they reject anything that does not conform with their traditions. Just like Joseph Joseph said, they fly to pieces like glass at anything that contradicts their traditions. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. The next level up beyond Zion, Jerusalem is, according, oops, going the wrong way here, the son-servant level. Okay, now this is this is what Gileadi calls it. Now, I'm going to show you in just a minute that uh, I would take the word sons out of that because in order to become a son or daughter of Christ, one has to receive the baptism of fire and Holy Ghost which means you have to enter the Zion Jerusalem level through that ordinance of the baptism of fire and Holy Ghost. Okay, but I'm going to use, I'm using Avraham Gileadi's terminology right now. So these are higher individuals than the Zion Jerusalem level. Just men made perfect. Those who have received a remission of both sins and iniquities. And they deliver others from danger or death in the last days. Members of the church of the firstborn. Okay, examples being true prophets, such as Nephi, Jacob, Alma, Abinadi, Captain Moroni, Mormon, Abraham, and and so many others. Okay, so let's move up some more here. We've got next the seraphim or angelic emissaries level. Okay, these are translated beings or We've, we've learned that not all of these individuals are necessarily translated if their mission does not coincide with the gift of translation. Okay. There are many who will be sons or, or be servants or prophets on the earth, although they have ascended to this level. Okay. But they bring divine intervention accompanied by miracles. So we're talking about the 144,000, for example. Obviously, the three Nephites fit in that category. John the Revelator, Moses does after he was translated. Enoch, of course, Melchizedek, of course, and the end-time Davidic servant. When he comes back, when he's on the scene, 
he will he will be on that level. That doesn't mean that he will necessarily be translated, but he will be on that level. But his mission, like I mentioned, may not be a, a trans to to be a translated being because that's just not what he's on the earth to do at that time at that moment. Now, next level up would be Jehovah, Jesus, King of Judah, uh, Je- Jehovah. So we're obviously talking about Jesus Christ here, right? The Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world, provides spiritual salvation from sins and iniquities. And then above him, now remember, Jesus did only that which he saw his father do, which means his father was on the level of of Jehovah in a prior mortality. And here we go. And when Jesus uh, fulfilled his mission and uh, he he allows he gives all that glory to his father who steps up another rung on the ladder. Okay. And everybody will move up, hopefully, on the ladder. Now, there are certainly people who move down from the Jacob Israel to the Babylon level and from the Babylon level down to perdition. But hopefully, hopefully this group is in it for the Lord and, and their goal is to ascend the ladder. So the most high God, right? Begetter of humanity, the father of all, grants exaltation in the highest heaven. So there's our ladder, okay? Now, what I want to do here is uh, show you a few scriptures that utilize some of these key words. So we've got here the Jacob-Israel category in Isaiah 48. Hear this, O house of Jacob. There's the word Jacob, right? So who's he talking to? The Jacob-Israel category, who are named Israel, though you stem from the lineage of Judah. Now, this is the LDS. This is where the LDS falls. It says, who take oaths in the name of Jehovah and invoke the God of Israel, however, not in truth or in righteousness. Now, they they think they do, right? Because they call themselves Israel. Remember, Jacob did didn't become Israel until he received his calling and election made sure. So Jacob is in some ways a lower category um, than Israel is. But we don't we think that uh, we're kind of all that in the church sometimes? We, we kind of do. We're the chosen people. And um, we've got to be able to, to, to remove that pride from our hearts and just do whatever it is the Lord tells us to do by offering up a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Now, the Lord is going to give us uncomfortable things to do. That's okay. That should be expected. Okay. These individuals that we were talking about here call themselves of the holy city. Well, I wonder what city that refers to today, right? Upheld by the God of Israel, whose name is Jehovah of hosts. So these are the those that are ambivalent and kind of wishy-washy and just not really taken things seriously like they should. Now, the next level up, the Zion Jerusalem category, we're going to refer to Isaiah 52. Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Why why does Zion need to put on strength? Now, this is before they actually become Zion because they lost their strength through apostasy and other other reasons. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. There's the other portion. The holy city. For henceforth thou shalt no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. So when you become Zion and Jerusalem, when you get become on that level, then at some point during the millennium, the 
those of lower levels will not be able to mingle with those of the higher levels. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Why, why is Zion or the daughter of Zion captive? Because she lost power. She lost authority and priesthood. Okay, These individuals, again, are those who have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide. They have entered the new and everlasting covenant, received the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I put 9% here because there is a 1% remaining that's higher than this category who are on the servant level. Okay, I don't think I'm going to go into that level right now, but... uh, all right, now let's do a let's make a comparison between the doctrine of Christ ascension levels with Avraham Gileadi's ascension levels. They're very 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 similar, okay? So we're going to start with the Jacob Israel category. These again are LDS and and even just regular old Christians. These are people that believe in God. Okay? But they are ruled by men and by the precepts of men. Oftentimes, they may be a part of the preparatory gospel if they're on the higher level here of the Jacob-Israel uh, Israel category. If they don't have the gospel, even the preparatory gospel, then they're probably going to be on a lower level within that, that rung of the ladder. So, the, so one of the entries, at least to the higher levels, would be baptism by water through the Aaronic priesthood. Okay, the next level up is the, I'm calling son or daughter of Christ level. Now, notice I put a little X over son in the level above. So again, I would take that term off. Um, But these are those who are born again and actually become blood Israel or adopted into the house of Israel through the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is an ordinance of the first or lower order of the Melchizedek priesthood. Okay, They They are members of the church of Christ instead of members of the church of the Latter-day Saints. And then we've got the next level up, which is the servant or friend level. We read that word friend in the New Testament and also in the Doctrine and Covenants. The Lord referred to several individuals in the Doctrine and Covenants as servants and friends. Now, they didn't all stay servants and friends. Some of them, some of them rebelled and apostatized against Joseph and the Lord. But these are, these are true prophets, seers and revelators, who are members of the church of the firstborn. Now, to get to that level, that's the level you have to get to to enter Zion. So second, that's second comforter level. And that's, that's around the time when the uh, one might receive, not sealed to, but receive the second order of the Melchizedek priesthood, potentially. Okay. Um, so doctrine of Christ, levels of progression, very, very similar to Avraham's in the book of Isaiah. All right, we've also got the 144,000, which we, we've mentioned already. So moving on, moving on. Uh, well, one thing I should point out, the, this progression up these rungs does not all occur in one mortality only. Okay, and I've got a quote coming up that'll, from Joseph that we'll share, that will uh, expand on that a little bit. So, Let's look at some scriptures really quickly from the Doctrine and Covenants that relate to these very levels and read through them as we move up. Okay, so this is um, verse 50. And again, we bear record. This is uh, what? Sydney and 
Um, so se- section 76, Sidney and Joseph. And again, we bear record for we saw and heard. And this is the testimony of the gospel of Christ concerning them who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. Now, there's several levels that we're going to go through here. Okay, so that first or lower level is the Zion Jerusalem level. They are they who received the testimony of Jesus, which we learned about last week, and believed on his name and were baptized after the manner of his burial into the terrestrial order, being buried in the water in his name, and this according to the commandments we have given, that by keeping the commandments they may be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is both ordained and sealed under this power. So there's the Zion Jerusalem category in the Doctrine and Covenants. And next we go up to the son servant, or what I would just call the servant level. These are they who overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. And then we go up even a little bit higher level. These are they who, so this is the seraphim or angelic emissaries level. These are they who have come to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly in the church of Enoch and of the firstborn. So just a higher level within the church of the firstborn. These are they whose names are written in heaven where God and Christ are the judge of all. So um, calling an election made sure, for sure, these these individuals. They're, They're highly ascended individuals. Now, let's read in 3 Nephi 9. Okay, we we all know this scripture. Okay, Um, this is Christ just after the the destruction of the Nephite people, right before his visit. He says, I'm the life of the world. This is the voice that the Nephites heard in the darkness. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Okay, now here's what he's telling us. You shall offer up no more unto me, the shedding of blood, or I should reread that. You shall offer up unto me no more the shedding of blood. Now, where did they do that? That was in their temples. He says, yea, your sacrifices and your burnt offerings shall be done away, for I will accept none of your sacrifices and your burnt offerings. Okay? Uh, Isaiah chapter 1 slams us in the last days for all of our vain temple worship. Verse 20, and you shall offer, so what shall we offer? What do we need to offer instead of those sacrifices? Well, you shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Okay, so there's the first half of a covenant, the, the, the half that we make. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, here's the covenant of Jesus Christ, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ pleads our case when we have come fully to a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He pleads our case to the Father and authorizes that ordinance of the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost to take place in our lives. And then it says, And as many as have received me, to them have I become, have I given to become the sons of God. Right? That's the Zion Jerusalem level. And even so will I, to as many as shall believe on my name, for behold, by me, redemption, fire, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost ordinance. Now, here's the quote I was telling you about by Joseph Smith. He says, when you climb up a ladder, you must begin at the bottom and ascend step by step until you arrive at the top. And so it is with the principles of the gospel. You must begin with the first 
and go on until you learn all the principles of exaltation. But it will be a great while after you have passed through the veil before you will have learned, uh, learned them. It is not all to be comprehended in this world. Well, what, what other world would it be? Well, future worlds. It will be a great work to learn our salvation and exaltation even beyond the grave. So the cool thing about the latter is that it teaches us where we are in our own progression and what's required to ascend to the next level. So moving on, this also refers to the latter here. Okay. Now, all of us, to some extent, if we have taken, if, if we've entered the new, new and everlasting covenant, have some responsibility in what I'm about to share with you. Okay. Part of our progression requires us to assist others on a lower level. If we, if we want to ascend, we have to bring others with us. Remember in Doctrine and Covenants when it says, if you shall bring one individual, great shall be your joy. But if, if you shall bring many, even more glorious will be your joy, joy whatever it says, right? Um, well, think about the influence that someone on a low level has. Not a whole lot of influence, but as you work your way up, you know, the, the, the servant level, the friend level, these are true prophets. They have great influence and they can help lots of others. And think of the influence that Christ has. He influenced the entire world, right? And so our path is laid out before us if we will ex accept it and move forward on it. So as ascending beings assist others in God's work and glory, which is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, they themselves ascend in the process as they become more godlike in their own character. Ascension always requires some form of a sacrifice. It always requires opposition or even a condescension among mankind before the ascension can occur. I'm not going to read all the scriptures below, but I did a, a quick search for the word suffer. And I was blown away at how many scriptures I found especially in the New Testament, that said that we have to sh suffer shame for Christ's name. Right? You cannot get up to the celestial kingdom without sacrifice, opposition, and even suffering. We're trying to become more and more Christ-like. Christ is the ultimate um, exemplar of charity. His, his act, the greatest act of charity was the atonement. Well, none of us are qualified to do that. So we're, we're given opportunities to offer up a lesser um, act of charity in our lives as we progress. So moving forward. Okay. Book of Mormon prophets defer to Isaiah. Oftentimes, um, Book of Mormon prophets allowed Isaiah to finish their thoughts when they were commanded to be silent on certain topics. Okay. The, the, Obvious, which most of us probably already know, is Nephi, right? Nephi said in 1 Nephi 14, But the things which thou shalt see hereafter, thou shalt not write. And he said, John, the revelator, is going to write those things. But then a few verses later, it says, And behold, I, Nephi, am forbidden that I should write the remainder of the things which I saw and heard. Wherefore, the things which I have written sufficeth me. And I have written but a small part of the things which I saw. And yet... He wrote, a, he wrote a small portion, and yet he included the most of any other um, 
Book of Mormon prophet regarding Isaiah. So Isaiah was the, was the prophet commanded to write uh, about the end times along with John. Okay, And so Nephi uses Isaiah's words to complete his story of the end times. Nephi's story about the end times. He's warning us because the Book of Mormon was written for us. So, for example, during Nephi's vision of all, right, in Nephi, 1 Nephi 11, um, that's also when he received his second comforter experience, he was commanded to not speak about the servant. He, he really wasn't allowed. Um, because, why? Because the servant, I'm, I'm assuming it's because Nephi speaks so plainly. And the servant, it's intended that he was hidden and obscure in Scripture. And so what did Nephi do instead? Well, he includes a bunch of chapters about the end time servant. The very first chapters that he talks about were Isaiah 48 and 49, which tell us how to identify the end time servant. We're going to focus on a lot of these chapters from the Book of Mormon in the video series, but we're going to include a few others that aren't in the Book of Mormon as well because they're powerful. They're beautiful. So uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go through uh, Nephi's, the chapters that follow after chapter 14 and show you how he transitions into um, the Isaiah chapters. And then what's his message after that? Okay, so remember back, we're going to jump back. Lehi sees the vision of the tree of life, right? Then Nephi says, well, shoot, I want to see that. I'm desirous to, that. I'm also desirous that I might see and hear and know of the things by the power of the Holy Ghost. So the very next chapter, chapter 11, he sees the same exact things that his father saw, right? But he saw, so he saw the ministry of Christ. Now I want you to think about the patterns here. You've got a restoration with the ministry of Christ. Was he accepted? Nope. Not, not uh, generally speaking. Nephi gets the interpretation of the tree of life, okay, which is entering the presence of the Lord in his glory. He sees the formation of the great and abominable church. So we've got some apostasy going on here. He sees that the plain and precious portions of the, of the scriptures were removed. And that includes both the Bible as well as the doctrine of Christ from the true doctrine of Christ from the uh, fundamental teachings of the LDS church. He sees um, stumbling blocks and apostasy of the Gentiles in the last days. Okay, that's us. He sees other books and records and scripture coming forth by the end time servant in the last days. He says, few Gentiles will repent and accept the fullness of the gospel of the Lamb, or in other words, the church of Christ. And it says, but there will be power given to the remnant Gentile, Gentiles, at least those who survive, through the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And ultimately, he sees the restoration of the house of Israel. We've got Restoration, apostasy, restoration, apostasy. There are some patterns there. We got to be aware of them because Isaiah give, talks about these patterns all over, but so do all the other prophets. That's their job. So moving forward beyond this uh, vision that Le or Nephi saw, we know that Lehi and, uh, excuse me, the, the Lehi's sons went back to Jerusalem. They married the daughters of Ishmael. They built a ship. They sailed to the promised land. Um, then Nephi prophesies of Christ's birth and death and the destruction of the Nephites. And then he says, But that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord their Redeemer, I did read unto them that which was written by the prophet Isaiah. But yet he can't talk about what he really wants to talk about. So he starts talking about the servant, 
using direct quotes from Isaiah. So look, Jehovah's servant in the end times calls on Jacob Israel category to forsake its idols and return to a new exodus out of Babylon. So that is the chapter summary by Avraham Gileadi. Then then the next chapter, Jehovah empowers his servant after he's rejected to restore his people and to carry out the new exodus. So they're, they're leaving Babylon to go to Zion. And then we get into chapter 50 and 51, more uh, mention of the servant all throughout. And then we get into, and so that's 2 Nephi 7 and 8. And then we get into 2 Nephi 12 through um, 24, which is Isaiah 2 through 14. And then in chapter 2 Nephi 27, he talks about Isaiah 29. Man, if you haven't read 29, that what an amazing chapter that is. And, and then he gets into um, chapter 28 of Nephi, which comes right after, um, obviously, 27, but that's the, the last book we talked about in 2 Nephi. He basically reiterates to us Isaiah 28, which just, quite frankly, blasts us as, as a people. And, he, and Nephi says, and he, basically, again, he's just, Quoting, not direct quotes, but he's saying the same thing Isaiah tells, says about us. He says that the priests deny the Holy Ghost, the power of God, and teach with their own learning. He says that the people, or, or the, the same priests, will teach to believe not in miracles. I, heard, I remember hearing that in General Conference a few years back. Teachers teach false and vain and foolish doctrines to their congregations and hide their counsel from God, and their works are in the dark. And because of pride, false teachers, false doctrines, their churches have become corrupt. They rob the poor to build fine sanctuaries. The humble, the few, humble few followers of Christ are led in many instances that they do err because they are taught the precepts of men. And in fact, he says that ultimately they're going to unite with the great and abominable church. So any, you know, when we hear um, these talks about how great the United Nations are, we've united. We've united. It breaks my heart. These people are pacified and deceived by Satan to say all is well in Zion. Sounds like soothsayers to me. They become angry because of the word of God and say, we've received the word of God and we need no more. We have enough. How many times have you guys heard that when you tried to explain, yeah, but there's more. There's so much more. They put their trust in the arm of flesh and hearken to the precepts of men. And ultimately, sadly, they deny the Christ in verse 32 of chapter 28 in 2 Nephi. There's patterns here. We've got to see them. We've got to share them. Now, in uh, Nephi then goes into, in, in chapter 29, he tells us again about the end time servant. He then prophesies of the awakening of the remnant of the Gentiles and the restoration of the house of Israel. And then he teaches the most beautiful sermon on the doctrine of Christ. Right? So just, you all know it. We're talking about broken heart and a contrite spirit. Three baptisms being one. Water, fire, and the Holy Ghost. We have to have all three. Enduring to the end and entering the rest of the Lord in his glory or receiving the second comforter. And sadly, in his last, very last chapter, Nephi is just lamenting, saying, I know that 
Many of us, many of the LDS will harden their hearts against the Holy Spirit and become angry at his words. Sad. Says in 2 Nephi 29.1, But behold, there shall be many at that day when I shall proceed to do a marvelous work among them, that I may remember my covenants which I have made unto the children of men, that I may set my hand again. Well, the hand was set the first time in Joseph's day. It's set again in the last days. The second time to recover my people. What do, why, do we, why do they need to be recovered? Because they've fallen. His people being the house of Israel. Now let's see if we can see that pattern as we move forward here. Okay. Wow, we're already going on an hour and a half here. Uh, but I'm, I'm getting close to being done. So Jacob 5, the allegory of the vineyard. Okay, this is basically an expanded version of Isaiah chapter 5. So I've got some uh, real quick summary here. In the latter days, we see that the Lord of the vineyard, or the Lord, and the servant go down to labor. They labor on the earth. The natural branches became corrupt. The vineyard, therefore, brought forth wild fruit because of its loftiness, its pride. And the Lord says, I have stretched forth my hand almost all the day long, and the end draweth nigh, right? The hand being the servant. The servant was there among the people. And the servant says, wait, 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 Lord, spare it just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. And then the branch or the servant withers away. In other words, he dies. He was removed from the people, just like Moses was removed from the people for their wickedness and disobedience. And then in the last days, a few verses later, the servant comes to the earth to labor again. And the, they, he grafts in the natural branches. And it says, pluck not the wild branches from the trees. So in other words, we got wild branches mixed in with natural branches. Nourish and trim the vineyard again. And then also call other servants to labor and prepare the way a last time. This is, this is our last chance. And then what comes next? Hew down the, they hew down the bad branches and cast them into the fire. What are we talking about? This is the wheat and the tares. If we cannot recognize and accept the doctrines of a, of a, of a terrestrial order, Doctrine and Covenants tells us that we're not worthy of a terrestrial kingdom. If we can't accept the doctrines of a celestial kingdom, um, order. We, we're not worthy of a celestial kingdom. So when the servants come preaching those, we've got to be open. We've got to pray about their words and take it to the Lord. Ultimately, what happens in this parable or in the allegory? The good or the natural branches are preserved into one body, being the new Jerusalem. There's a pattern, right? Restoration, apostasy, restoration. So Christ talks about this very thing in our day. He says, And thus commandeth the Father in 3 Nephi 16, 10, that I should say unto you, At that day when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel. Well, the only time they could have rejected the fullness would have been back in Joseph's day. And, well, I take that back because there will be many who rejected in the last days as well. And that when this people shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above all nations, 
and above all the people of the whole earth and should be filled with all manner of lyings, deceits, mischiefs, hypocrisy, murders, priestcrafts, whoredoms, and secret abominations. Can that be really happening amongst us? Absolutely. Joseph was killed because of those things. Because of those things. And, and it happened by his closest friends. Breaks my heart to think about it. And if they shall do all those things and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. He's taken it away. And then will I re remember the covenant which I have made unto my people, O house of Israel, and I will bring my gospel unto them. It goes from the Gentiles to the house of Israel, back, back to them. And I will show unto thee, O house of Israel, that the Gentiles shall not have power over you, but I will remember my covenant unto you, O house of Israel. Remember, there's that word Israel. What level is he talking to? That's it. Ye shall come unto the knowledge of the fullness of my gospel, because you didn't know it before that. But if the Gentiles will repent and return unto me, saith the Father, behold, there shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. That's what we're striving to become adopted into the house of Israel through the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now he continues on in 3 Nephi 21. This is Christ again. For in that day, for my sake, shall the Father work a work, which shall be a great and marvelous work among them. That's Isaiah um, language right there. And there shall be among them those who will not believe it, although a man shall declare it unto them. And then he starts talking about the servant. Behold, the life of my servant shall be in my hand. Therefore, they shall not hurt him, although he shall be marred because of them. Yet I will heal him. For I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. Therefore, it shall come to pass that whosoever will not believe in my words, whom Jesus Christ, which the Father shall, shall cause him, the servant, to bring forth unto the Gentiles, the LDS, and shall give unto him power that he shall bring them forth unto the Gentiles. They shall be cut off from among my people who are of the covenant. One last verse here in 3 Nephi 21. And I, I'm going to bring this current to us. And I will cut off the cities of thy land. This is uh, Christ quoting Isaiah. And throw down all thy strongholds. These are last days destructions. And I will cut off witchcrafts. Well, remember, we talked about that. That's sorcery. That's pharmaceuticals. That's vaccinations. I will cut that out, out of thy land. And thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images will I also cut off. Those are idols, right? And thy standing images out of the midst of thee. Well, what's the midst of thee? That's among us. The idols that are among us as a people. And thou shalt no more worship the works of thy hands. And it shall come to pass that all lyings, deceivings, envies, strifes, priestcrafts, and whoredoms shall be done away. Why? Because we've elevated ourselves to a terrestrial or even a celestial level. For it shall come to pass that, the, uh, saith the Father, that at that day, whosoever will not repent and come unto my beloved Son, then will I cut off from among my people, O house of Israel. We cannot stay where we are. We have to climb that ladder. And I'm not going to read the verse in, in Revelation chapter 19. It's more of the, the uh, sorceries and vaccinations that deceive all nations in the last days. We're seeing it right now all around us, aren't we?
I guess I got one more verse here or section of verses. More Isaiah, the Lord quoting Isaiah, and I will execute vengeance and fury upon them, even as upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. But if they will repent and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts, I will establish my church, the church of Christ among them. And they shall come into the in unto the covenant and be numbered among this, the remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance, right? This nation where Zion will reside. And they shall assist my people, the remnant of Jacob, those who, who survived the destructions. And also as many of the house of Israel shall come, that they may build a city, which shall be called the new Jerusalem. And then shall they assist my people, that they may be gathered in, who are scattered upon all the face of the earth under the in unto the new Jerusalem. And then shall the power of heaven come down among them, and I also will be in the midst. So if we're going to get into that new Jerusalem, we've got to be on that level where we have received Christ in the flesh, in all his, in his glory. Because Christ will be there in the midst of the new Jerusalem. Now, I'm not going to get into the parable of the redemption of Zion. We've been going long enough here, but you know it. The nobleman or the Lord had a choice spot of land. He called servants and told them to be to be watchmen and to build towers. Why do you ascend a tower? Or what's the point of a tower? To ascend the tower that one may overlook the, the land roundabout and to be a watchman. But what happened? While they were laying the foundation, those who were supposed to be watching, the watchmen, they said, why does my Lord need this tower? Shouldn't we give this money unto the exchangers or the Enzyme Peak Fund? Or in other words, it could be, an, we could translate that differently and say, aren't there better things we could be doing? There's no need of these things. We don't need to ascend any ladder. We don't need to ascend this tower. And while they were at variance, they became slothful and they hearkened not to the commandments of the Lord. And what happened? We know that the enemy came by night, broke down the hedge, scattered the, the servants of the Lord. And then the Lord calls one servant and says, go gather the residue of my servants. Take all the strength of mine house, which are my warriors, right? Can we help be warriors for Christ? We can be if we follow what we're learning and go knock down the tower, the false tower that the, that the enemy built up. That's what's happening in the last days and needs to happen before Christ comes again. So, and, and as we know, very clearly, uh, we hear this almost every week, DNC 103 tells us who the servant is. Right? He says it's Joseph Smith, but not in his first ministry, in his second. Now, a lot of people like to take Isaiah's words and say, oh, it's all about Christ. Christ is a servant. It's Joseph. It's Joseph. I'm not going to read to you Isaiah chapter 5. It's just a shorter version of the uh, allegory of the vineyard. So here's our pattern. Restoration. The restoration occurred back in, the 18, back in 1829. It only lasted five years. By 1834, they fell under condemnation. Joseph fought all the time against false teachings. The people were apostatizing right, you know, right in front of them, bringing and introducing polygamy and, and other 
doctrines from their old churches and other traditions. Ultimately, they all fell into apostasy. Joseph was taken from their midst. The heavens were closed. And for many, many years, we got leaders on a celestial order. But as you've seen, there has been an awakening. Awakening of a a small few, the humble followers of Christ, who say to themselves, Lord, I don't care who's right. I don't care what's right necessarily. I need your help, though. I need your help to tell me what to do, where to go. Where does truth reside? I don't care if it's in the church. I don't care if it's out of the church. I want to follow you. And even though they get messages from the Lord that can be uncomfortable because it goes against their traditions, they're willing to follow and suffer that persecution that comes with it. So ultimately, we will receive a we will receive again if we're worthy a full restoration or renewal of the doctrine of Christ and even doctrines beyond that as Zion is built up and we will be sifted as wheat or as tares and ultimately the destruction of the wicked will occur and the righteous will be delivered out of Babylon on an exodus to Zion. I want to be part of that. I absolutely want to be part of that. I think this is my last scripture, Isaiah 29. Jehovah has poured out upon you, people, a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. This is us in the last days. But but my Lord says, because these people approach me with the mouth and pay me homage with their lips, while their heart remains, remains far from me, their piety towards me, consisting of commandments of men, learned by rote. This is the Isaiah Institute translation. Therefore, it is that I shall again astound these people with wonder upon wonder, rendering void the knowledge of their sages and the intelligence of their wise men insignificant. Let's take it to the Lord. Let's share the message with others, despite the persecution that comes our way. This same pattern exists all over in scriptures. I've got a whole list. Jeremiah 23 is a big one about the last days even. Malachi, Hosea, you know, Doctrine and Covenants, multiple books of Isaiah. Okay, so where are we in the pattern? 2 Nephi 9, oh, that cunning plan of the evil one. Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. When they are learned, they think they are wise, like the wise virgins. And they hearken not unto the counsels of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. So again, DNC 45, and at that day, when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled which I spake concerning the ten virgins. For they that are wise, not just those that think they're wise, and have received the truth. So they have to be wise. They have to receive the truth. And have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived. Well, been deceived by what? We've been talking about it all night. Verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast in the, into the fire, but shall abide the day. Guys, we got to offer up our broken heart and our contrite spirit. And if we do that, we fully commit to the Lord. 
he will baptize us with fire and we will become his sons, sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of Christ. And that's, that's the most important message in the doctrine of Christ. Um, I'm grateful I got to be here tonight and I share this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me share with you one other quick thing because I'm going to pull up the, the Zombre DOC channel. You can see that there's, I only have 10 videos on the channel currently, but I would say that we're probably going to do at least half of Isaiah, roughly half. On a regular basis, we'll, we'll upload a new video. And so if you want to share them with friends, go ahead and do that. Our, our job is we're trying to wake others up, right? We're trying to wake others up. And we don't want to bring any attention to ourselves, any glory to ourselves. It's all for the Lord. But we understand because most of us, our eyes are open and, and it scares us to death what's coming.